Now Joseph had been taken down to Egypt, and Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, captain of the guard, an Egyptian, brought him from the Ishmaelites who had taken him down there. The Lord was with Joseph, and he was a successful man, and he was in the house of his master, the Egyptian. And his master saw that the Lord was with him, and that the Lord made all he did to prosper in his hand. So Joseph found favor in his sight and served him, made him overseer of his house, and all that he had he put under his authority. So it was from the time that he had made him overseer of his house and all that he had that the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. And the blessing of the Lord was on all that he had in the house and in the field. Thus Potiphar left all that he had in Joseph's hand, and he did not know what he had except for the bread which he ate. Now Joseph was handsome in form and appearance, and it came to pass after these things that his master's wife cast longing eyes on Joseph, and she said, Lie with me. But he refused and said to his master's wife, Look, my master does not know what is with me in the house, and he has committed all that he has to my hand. There is no one greater in this house than I, nor has he kept back anything from me but you, because you are his wife. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? So it was, as she spoke to Joseph day by day, that he did not heed her to lie with her or be with her. And obviously the context is sexually. Verse 11. But it happened about this time when Joseph went into the house to do his work and none of the men of the house were inside, that she caught him by his garment saying, lie with me. But he left his garment in her hand and fled and ran outside. And so it was when she saw that he had left his garment in her hand and fled outside, that she called to the men of her house and spoke to them saying, see, he has brought into us a Hebrew to mock us. He came into me to lie with me, and I cried out with a loud voice. And it happened when he heard that I lifted my voice and cried out that he left his garment with me and fled and went outside. So she kept his garment with her until his master came home. Then she spoke to him with words like these, saying, The Hebrew servant whom you brought to us came into me to mock me. So it happened as I lifted my voice and cried out that he left his garment with me and fled outside. So it was when his master, that is Potiphar, heard the words which his wife spoke to him, saying, Your servant did to me after this manner, that his anger was aroused. Then Joseph's master took him and put him into the prison, a place where the king's prisoners were confined. And he was there in the prison. But the Lord was with Joseph and showed him mercy, and he gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. And the keeper of the prison committed to Joseph's hand all the prisoners who were in the prison, Whatever they did there, it was his doing. The keeper of the prison did not look into anything that was under Joseph's authority because the Lord was with him, and whatever he did, the Lord made it to prosper. What a fascinating chapter in the Bible because in the midst of great afflictions and injustices, we see this man, this follower of the Lord, Joseph, prospering in this foreign land. Again, Joseph is one of the 12 sons of Jacob, Israel, and it is through Joseph's mishap and being betrayed by his brothers by which God is going to bring to pass his divine sovereign plans. Joseph 17, God gives him the dreams of greatness where his brothers are bowing down to him and then even his father's bowing down to him. God has expanded that dream. We talk about God's promises expanding, that God's constantly giving upgrades, eternity's an upgrade with the glorified body, are growing in the Lord Jesus Christ every year. If we keep growing, is an upgrade more of Christ in you, the hope of glory, less of you, the fading glory. God's always producing by his spirit upgrades. And his revelation is from glory to glory. So 
in this affliction and this betrayal by Joseph's brothers who throw him in the pit and say this dreamer, they make fun of his dreams of glory. The best employee you could ever hire in the world on the planet at that time, they sell for 20 pieces of silver to Ishmaelite traders. The man who's going to run the most powerful kingdom in the world. The one who was a 17-year-old who showed up for work on time at Subway or Starbucks or Del Taco, who did exactly what the manager said, cleaned up properly, closed properly, and could give him an account to the last penny of the resources that came and went. That Joseph, that Joseph is going to become the most powerful person in the world. And the expansion of the dreams, the visions and the dreams, are all in motion through afflictions, trials, and tribulations coming forth from malice and evil and envy and jealousy, but in God's divine purposes and plans, molding and shaping Joseph to be the person that could be entrusted with really being in charge of the world, if you will, because he'll go all the way to number two. He goes from the pit to Potiphar's house to the prison to the palace, and every stop has a purpose in molding him and shaping him to become the person, the man, or we might say for ladies, the woman he's meant to be, to arrive at that destination in the palace that day and not be overwhelmed by the power of the signet ring of Pharaoh or underwhelmed by the circumstances, but to value the position, to have been ready for it and to step into it and get the job done for the saving of his brothers and his household, the nation of Israel in their most infant state of 70 people and the saving of Egypt and even the saving of foreign people from other places who had come to Egypt to benefit from his Ability to have divine dreams, interpret those dreams, and put application to them with the seven years of fruitfulness and the seven years of famine. That's where we're going here. And here we find early on in this journey, he's gone from the position of authority with his dad to the pit with his brothers to the house of Potiphar as a slave, a steward under his master, to the prison. So we're we're moving right along in this process to get him ready to be in charge of all things and to be so in such a way that he can handle it faithfully and fruitfully for the Lord. It is really, truly all about character. It really is about being transformed from glory to glory by the Holy Spirit in our lives, that work of the Holy Spirit, that sanctifying work. The greatness that God wants to do is within all of us by the transforming work of the Holy Spirit to make us more like Jesus in our character and the experiences that we go through in life, the ones we embrace, that we like, the ones that are arduous and difficult that we don't like, but all things working together for good to make us like Christ. Not just to fulfill his purposes in this timeline of our generation, but to prepare us for his purposes for all eternity. There's so much more, as we've been saying, and it's such a bigger picture. So as we find him now, he's not the 17-year-old in his dad's house. Here's a very interesting phrase. Did you catch it? It says here in verse 2, the Lord was with Joseph. He was a successful man. He's grown up. Those of you with adult children, you understand this. Danny Foster, who used to go here, of course, and lives in Boise. I was talking to Jeremy this week, and Danny's going to graduate from Boise State in May. He's going in the Navy. He's going to teach nuclear physics to people who drive submarines with nuclear power and weapons, I suppose. It's really smart stuff. Or as they say, it's beyond my pay grade. I'm actually praying about going up there to see his graduation. And if I don't go personally, my prayers certainly will. But Danny Foster doesn't look like the little kid that used to be around here, even when he's in high school. At last year, he's playing 
soccer for Calvary Chapel High School, he's still 17-year-old Danny like Joseph in the promised land. But I guarantee you, we see Danny Foster graduating Boise State. He's a man. He looks like a man. And Joseph's a man. He's become a man. And he's not just any kind of man. He's a successful man. Ladies, that's who you want to marry, right? A successful man. That's who you want your daughters to marry, a successful man. But we don't define success in the church of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ by people that can make lots of money and provide practically, which, of course, certainly helps. But success by men who are spirit-led so they can spirit-lead. That's the kind of men we want our daughters to date or to be courted by, which, praise the Lord, in my case, we're two for two, which means we won the lottery. And we're blessed with that. Successful men. And his success is revealed to us as we go forward in this chapter because of the character of who he is. But we see also even the macro picture of his success is told for us right here. The Lord was with him. The Lord was with him. He's a young man now. We know he's handsome. He's he's a good-looking young man. I mean, man, if he was in the military... He looked like one of the fiddle boys at Air Force Academy, right? Just good looking. I just, wow, just good looking like, man. That's what I'm talking about right there. When Timmy was in his, I'd see Timmy at Cal Maritime. He had to wear a uniform all four years at the academy up there in Cal State Maritime. And when I'd see him in his uniform, especially when he was like a junior, I was like, man, look at Timmy. Like his graduation, he's just, wow. He's like, wow, Timmy, you're handsome. And that's Joseph. And the Lord is with him. So he doesn't just look, he's not just strong like in the prime of his youth, a good-looking young man, but he's also a spirit-filled man. He's a godly man. He believes in the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and we know that he serves that God. We know that that God speaks to him in dreams like he did to his father Jacob, spoke in dreams. Remember Jacob's ladder? He's the key in this equation. And he's a godly man, he's a handsome man, and he's a grown man. The Lord is with him. He's a successful man. This whole chapter is about him being faithful and fruitful. We just say bloom where you planted, and he really is blooming and growing in every situation. These are progressive situations. It's like he's away at college, and first he's getting his bachelor's degree this way, and then he's working on a master's, and he's getting a doctorate in the prison. But in every place he goes, he is so fruitful and so successful and prosperous with the Lord, no one even checks the books on what he's doing. They don't even check the books. He served the bread to Potiphar, and Potiphar's all good in the universe because Joseph's running the estate and the trust. And the prison keeper, I mean, there's a lot at stake when you run a prison, by the way, right? One prisoner escapes, it's really bad for the keeper. But, hey, Joseph's here? I don't even... Ask Joseph. Like, for those of you people that hire and fire employees, which I know many of you do in this room, this, when you get this interview, like, that guy, we're hiring him right now. We're hiring her right now. This is that person. He's so faithful and fruitful. Faithful and fruitful. With Potiphar, let's look at him with these three different key people in this story, because he's with Potiphar, then he's with Potiphar's wife, and then he's with the prison keeper, the keeper of the prison. And we see his faithfulness in each of these three relationships with superiors and uh, yeah, because Potiphar's wife has to be considered superior as well in his world. 
with Potiphar, I mean, verse 3 through verse 5 is just like you want this to read about your life at the end of your life. The Lord was with him, and that the Lord made all that he did prosper in his hand. What a description for our lives, that the Lord is with us, and all that we do would prosper in our hand. Then verse 4 says it, to found favor in his sight and serve him. When God just makes you shine for your superiors, and they love who you are, what you're about, and what you're doing. And then that stewardship of overseer over all the house and all that he put under his authority, where the owner of the company so trusts you that you open and close and you can do the books and you're able to handle the petty cash or the checkbooks and all these things. When I first went into ministry, Geller Tohill, who's now with the Lord, was the associate pastor at Calvary Vista, and he taught me a lot about finances because he was a very successful businessman before he ever was an associate pastor for Brian Broderson. But he said, Joey, know this. Whoever signs the checks is the ultimate authority. Joseph signed the checks. Joseph signed the checks in Potiphar's house. He, he, just one signature required. Joseph signs the checks. And by the way, with Pharaoh's ring, he's just going to go like that. It's going to be the same thing. It's going to be like signing the check. He's got like a stamp to stamp the check with. Like, here's my signature. Now, fill those wheat houses with all that grain. Incredible faithfulness. Now, we're told in Colossians that whatever we do, we're to do it heartily as unto the Lord and not unto men, knowing that we will receive our reward from the Lord. And if I look at any biblical example of someone who did this, it has to be Joseph. Because in the end, Joseph is doing this unto the Lord. How do we know that? Well, obviously the Lord's with him and prospering him, giving him favor and advancing in rank and authority and all those things. But he said, when Potiphar's wife came after him, how can I do this great wickedness and sin against the Lord? So for potential moral character failure, he saw it as being against the Lord. Therefore, for proper moral integrity, uprightness is for the Lord. If doing wrong is against the Lord, then doing right is for the Lord. And he did all things well as unto the Lord. In a very difficult environment, starting all over, no family, no friends, stripped of everything, and he just embraced that opportunity, and he didn't change who he was. He just became a man version of what he was as a senior high school version working for his dad. He became the better version, the grown-up version, without his dad. He did it as unto the Lord. And herein is such a key for us about blooming and growing wherever planted. If we do things as unto the Lord, and we can remind ourselves of that, because some things are very difficult to do at work, or in the family, or in taking care of elderly parents, or raising children, and, or raising adult children, and having to deal with sticky business with adult children. But if we do things as unto the Lord, his word doesn't change. His word is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. His word is a compass, and it does not change with the shadow of turning of different societies and generations. It's a plumb line that will never change, and Jesus is the cornerstone, and when he's building the building and the cornerstone and the plumb line, it's going to go fine. He doesn't change. There's no, there's no shadow of turning from the Father of lights. 
And Joseph is serving the Lord. And he's doing the right things. And God's going to always honor the right things. So our whole environment can radically change in one day. But the external environment should not change who we are internally. And I go back to 25 years ago, that pastor from Florida back in the day, when I was going to Vermont, I was so nervous about moving to Vermont. And Bob Coy and Gail Irwin the same day, Bob Coy, first of all, said, Joey, I think it's great that you're going for it. You need to just go for it. God will honor going for it, and it's the steps of faith that matter. And I just remember, like, I was so, like, I'm leaving everything I know to go to everything I don't know. And Bob Coy's like, we're called to live by faith. You cannot go wrong living by faith. But in my case, it was a choice. It was not a choice for Joseph. In some of, you, some of your lives, it's a step of faith by choice. But in some cases, you get changed. It's not your choice. It's been forced on you by family or the courts or there's politics or social environment or the higher powers in your workplace. There's different things. Or life itself. And then it was Gil Irwin who said to me, after Bob Coy told me that, that God's will is not where you are, but who you are. And those two words on that day at that conference at Merritt Island, Florida, so comforted me and encouraged me in January of 1995 that, okay, I can take steps of faith and I can know God's will by letting him work in my life through these experiences and we'll be okay. And we were and we grew. This is part of my journey, like you have things that are part of your journey. It's all a journey to produce more of Christ in our life. Whatever we do, we want to do it heartily as unto the Lord. We want to bring the blessing wherever we go. He was a blessing. God wants you to be a blessing. He wants me to be a blessing wherever we go. Every family situation, as complex as the dynamics might be, he wants you to be the blessing. Every workplace situation and the, the messiness that it brings, he wants you to be the blessing. Every social challenge in any society, he wants you to be the blessing. And everything that will ever happen in our timeline while you're alive, he wants us to be the blessing. We embrace it. We walk in the room. The room tilts, not because we're some superstar athlete or famous person. It tilts because the blessings are so heavy upon our life. We tilt the room with the power and the presence and the equity of the Holy Spirit. We bring the blessings. And Joseph brought the blessings, even as his dad Jacob brought the blessings in Laban's house. Even as his grandfather Isaac brought the blessings to all Canaan when Philco and those guys said, let's make a covenant because we see that God is with you and you're prospering you. You see, we want to bring the blessings in our marriage. We want to bring the blessings to our children. We want our children to perpetuate the blessings and our grandchildren to perpetuate the blessings. So we just keep producing generations of people who bless and make things better than they were because we're bringing the Holy Spirit and the presence of Christ into that environment, even if you've been sold into slavery and are suffering great injustices. The second thing we see, okay, so with Potiphar, he just brought the blessings. He was the real deal with the Lord. He was just the blessing. His presence, it was the Lord. 
He's a spirit-filled man, and whatever he did, he did it as unto the Lord. Now, with Potiphar's wife, this is the tough stuff because this is the character test. He resisted temptation. He resisted temptation. The Bible tells us in the book of James that blessed is the man who resists temptation. Or you could say blessed is the woman who resists temptation. We're all tempted. We're told in the Lord's Prayer, deliver us this day from evil. And I tend to pray every day that God would protect me in his armor, that he would deliver me from evil, that I'd recognize it, and that I would draw near to the Lord in temptation. The Lord tempts no one. Things are a test. We should not confuse the two. Every temptation of the devil for evil is a test of the Lord for good. It's all a test. And we are told, again, in James, that we're to resist the devil and submit ourselves to the Lord. We're to humble ourselves. And the devil has to flee. That sounds easy enough, but it's not easy, is it? We're also told that no temptation has overtaken us, but such is common to man. And God, who is faithful, will provide the way of escape. But maybe you're like me, where you're like going, I'm feeling the temptation, but I'm not seeing the escape route. But God is faithful. He'll never give us more than we can handle without his assistance. He'll give us more than we can handle in our flesh. That will be forced to handle it in total dependency upon him by his spirit. But he provides the way of escape. We're also told to flee youthful lust. And literally, this is, I mean, you talk about taking it literally. Joseph is literally fleeing youthful lust. And what you have to really appreciate about Joseph here, now think about Daniel and Babylon. There in chapter 1 of Daniel, we're told when he was taken away captive to Babylon, oh, 1,500 years after this, long time after this, but again, a Jew in a faraway land. It says that Daniel purposed in his heart not to defile himself with the king's delicacies, that he just purposed that whatever happened, he wasn't going to compromise or change his moral standard in regards to how he carried himself when he's away at UC Babylon. And you eat this food, you talk this language, you do all these things. They're trying to change him totally culturally, externally, but they never changed who he was. And then Meshach, Sagar, and Abednego, his buddies, we see a similar situation there in chapter 3 when they refused to bow down to the golden statue of Nebuchadnezzar where they, just, they were just never going to do that. They were never, ever, ever. It was a line they were never going to cross. It's just a line they were never going to cross. There are lines that we can draw that we just say we're never going to cross that line. And some of us do a really good job with that. There are other lines we say, I'm not going to cross that line, but then we kind of put our foot like, like this on the line, and then all of a sudden we get pulled in. You know, something very interesting talking to my sister. She's, as many of you know, the story of my sister, and it's a very inspiring story to a lot of people. But this, eight days ago, she had all of her criminal records against her reduced from felonies to misdemeanors and completely expunged by the courts, which was more than she was hoping for. And uh, it's the first time she had to go to court without my mom by her side. So that was a big one at Calvary, excuse me, at the Vista Court. So that was big. And uh, the day before she was with me up here, we we're setting up all of our new banking, you know, be more functional society. Hey, online banking, wow, what a concept, right? And here's a checking account, a savings account, and here's your, you know, this stuff. And it's really cool. It was great. Well, then 
after seven years of not driving and having some DUIs and going to DUI school for like a year and a half, she got her license restored. So Barbie's coming up Monday to pick up dad's car, and it's her car now, which is really cool. But in talking with my sister that day we did her banking a week ago Thursday, she said something to me that, you know, because she's been really open up about a lot of stuff, and we've always been close. Barbie and I have always been very, very tight. But she said that the beginning of her downfall to end up homeless was just smoking weed. That she had, she had turned the corner with no alcohol, she turned the corner, no hard drugs, and no more uh, heavy pharmaceuticals for painkilling from her knee injuries that she had. And she had been clean for a while, and she was really going forward. And she said that she just crossed the line one time about four or five years ago when she made all this progress and she smoked weed just once, smoked pot just one time. And it just opened the floodgates to go back to the alcohol, back to the pain meds, and back to the hard drugs. And the context was she was bitter towards someone because the person she did it with, she said, is a functional alcoholic and drug addict where Barbie said, I am a non-functional alcoholic and drug addict. And if you know what I mean right there, you know what I mean. If you don't, you don't. But there are people who can do drugs and alcohol and still somewhat function in society with jobs and get things done. And they're still a train wreck, but they function. And there are people who completely can't function at all. And my sister was very bitter toward this person because she said, that person can smoke pot and still show up at work the next day on time and be an average employee. I smoke pot, I go back to drinking, I go back to hard drugs, and I'm back on the streets. I said, well, at least you know it. Whenever smoke pot, right? Like, I know in my life, I could never cross the line of drinking alcohol in my life ever again. I've never drank alcohol since 1987. And I certainly want to be above reproach that way for all of you as a senior pastor, but I just know I could never cross that line. There's just lines you can't cross. Maybe in your life, there's lines you've crossed that you wish you would have never crossed. I crossed lines in the 80s I wish I would have never crossed. Well, I'm like, where you're weighing the balances and you, you say, you know, I'm going to do this anyways, and then it can affect your life adversely for years, sometimes the rest of your life, right? Just one night of unfaithfulness can cost someone an entire marriage. So you cross that line, you may never be able to come back from that. Or you might cross a line where you stole money at work and then now you, you get caught, you're a convicted felon, and that's on your record and you can't get a good job for a long time. There was a Tuesday night here a couple of years back where about 40 people came and sat back there. And you kind of notice 40 people coming on a bus to visit you on a Tuesday night here. You know them tonight, too. And, uh, and they were from some kind of a rehab group, like you turn for Christ. And I said, do you know how hard it is to get a job when you're a felon? I mean, they, it was like, everyone's like, <laughs> you know, can I get a witness? You got to know your crowd. And I knew it was going to go over well. I was talking about my sister that night. Yeah. We don't want to cross those lines. So number one, the character test is not to cross those lines. God will allow you to see those lines. They'll they'll be there. You just got to know, like, no, Daniel purpose in his heart. These three guys were never bowing down to that idol. When you really purpose in your heart a firm conviction and you don't move from that, it's so powerful. It's like Columbine when Rachel Scott refused to renounce her faith and they killed her. Like, there are just defining moments where, like, I am who I am, and this is who we are. And we want to be this way. 
when everyone's in the house, and about this way when Potiphar's wife's trying to seduce me in the house. And the last point on this, this test of character, or this proof of character from Potiphar's wife, he said, how can I sin against God? And that's what David said about Bathsheba. When David sinned against Bathsheba and he had her husband Uriah killed in combat through the conspiracy with Joab, in Psalm 51, as much as he sinned against Uriah, had him killed, as much as he sinned against Bathsheba and they lost the child that they had conceived through their adulterous relationship, in Psalm 51 he says, against you, O Lord, and you only have I sinned. And that's where it always begins. We hurt a lot of people with our sins and our failures and our shortcomings, but ultimately... Sin is against the Lord. God is holy, and we are sinners, and we're saved by grace so the sons can set us free from the grip of sin, the power of the devil, and the fear of the grave. Joseph passed this test, and he fled. What's incredible is he's falsely accused of attempted rape. That is so heavy. You talk about a felony charge against you? Attempted rape. Man, if you have that on your record and you go to church, you're on the Megan's list in many cases. If, you have, if you're charged with attempted rape and convicted of attempted rape, you might go to Calvary Costa Mesa and they've got stuff that shows they know who you are. And they might just come up to you like, so what's the story here? It's a very serious charge. And all the more serious when you consider what a heinous crime it is when it does happen. But he was innocent. So everyone's looking at you like you're a rapist and you're most likely a virgin and you love the Lord and God knows. God knows. Now, how he rose to prominence in the prison is interesting with that type of an accusation against him. And you wonder if Potiphar knew that it wasn't true. I mean, when you look at your wife, it's like, you don't know, but like some people are really good liars and some people are very poor liars. And we don't know what kind of a liar Potiphar's wife was. But, you know, he blew a gasket. He was enraged. And, man, what a bummer. There goes the gravy train, right? There goes the goose that lays the golden egg. And when you're alone at night and you're thinking and your wife gives you a look like, she gives you a funny look, you're like, what kind of look is that? And then like she rolls over, you're sitting there like, that look is like, that's a, that's, a, that's a funny look. Like, what's that look right there? I wonder, like, would she have falsely accused Joseph? Because like it affects all of us now. We don't make as much money anymore. The household's not as in order. We're losing money now. Breakfast, hey, honey, what? Can I talk to you about the Joseph thing? No, I don't want to talk about it. It's a terrible experience. I mean, who knows? How about when Joseph's in the palace? How about the first time when he's the number two guy with the signet ring and Potiphar shows up at the ball with his wife? What, what, what took place there? I mean, these people all traveled in big circles on red carpets, if you will, in Pharaoh's palace. Can you imagine when the news trickled down? Honey, you'll never believe what happened. Joseph was called up to the court today. He interpreted Pharaoh's dream. You're like, who they always trying to impress? Pharaoh, the big, 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 big boss? He interpreted his dream, and guess what? He's got the signet ring. 
Oh, oh, man, there's always so much going on. Like I've been saying through this whole book, telenovela, drama. This is drama. I just picture the ball, like War and Peace or something, at the ball, like some Russian ball in the early 1800s. And there Potiphar and his wife, and here comes, here comes our boy Joseph with his beautiful wife, and just like, try not to make eye contact with the punch bowl, right? It is what it is. You can't make this stuff up. He passed the test of character. And I'm sure he, well, we don't know for sure, but I think we'd say we're innocent if we're innocent. And maybe he thought, well, maybe I, I gave her the wrong look. Maybe, maybe, she, maybe she read something between the lines. Because, like, you know, when, you start, when you're being punished for something, you start thinking maybe I did do something wrong, right? Do you, know, you understand what I'm saying? Like, you might be above reproach and innocent, but if enough people say, no, you, you said it this way and you're falling back on the business meeting, like, did I really get upset? I don't remember getting that upset. No, oh, you were upset. And if people start to feed it that way, then you start to see it that way. And maybe it's true, but maybe it's not. And you think like, wow, maybe I, maybe I did handle that wrong. And of course, in the New Testament, that's all we're told for everything in ministry. There's two or more. Even in the Old Testament, by the witness of two or more, a matter is established. This matter is not established. There's only one witness, her word against his. God's is two or more. And all that we do, we have difficult stuff here at church. It's, it's two or more. When Jesus sent out apostles, it was two or more. To avoid these very types of things. And last but not least, after passing the character test with Potiphar's wife. Oh, one last thought on that, though. If you have failed character test, which I think we can say we all have, one beautiful thing about failed character test is you usually get a rematch. You usually get a rematch. Where you have failed, you will generally find that God gives you a second chance. As disheartening as a moral failure or those types of tests are when you fail them, you will generally find if you live long enough, and you usually don't have to live that long, God will give you a rematch with that. Okay, here we go again. Sooner or later, someone's going to offer my sister weed. You know it. It's going to happen. And hopefully she'll have strong enough traction and conviction to, like it says in Deuteronomy, that my people would consider the latter end and just go like, no, I just, that's a death sentence. It's just, that's the road to nowhere and the end of everything good that's been rebuilt. You get a rematch. Now, the last and final thing we see is with the keeper of the prison, with the, what God was doing in Joseph's life. Now, you talk about blooming where you're planted and embracing it. I mean, you just went to prison. You're in prison for attempted rape. And you just, seems like you're going down, down, down. But actually, in God's economy, you're going up, 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 up. Because each thing is working something in your heart to refine your character and your integrity and to prepare you for what's really going to happen, how those dreams that you had at 17 are going to be fulfilled. So while it seems like you're regressing in your career path, that you're trending downward instead of horizontal or even vertical, more, which you'd more desire, in your career path, so often the way up begins by going down, particularly with the Lord. Before honor comes humility. And I don't know what would be more humbling than being wrongly accused to be an attempted rapist and sit in prison for a couple years, but it didn't stop him from living. You cannot let, we cannot let false charges or bad turn of events or malice and evil of other people stop us 
from growing and blooming where we're planted and where we're at and the circumstances we're in where we're at. And it might be less than what we thought they should be. Like, as hard as Potiphar's house was, it was definitely better than, you know, being in the pit or on the camel's back with the Ishmaelites. But it's going reverse, but it's not really. Because here's the last thing we want to understand about being under in the prison. In that prison, Joseph kept growing. Because what you learn in prison is a whole other realm of the human experience. You learn the criminal mind, which we all are to some degree. You learn justice and you learn injustice. He is going to lead a nation, the greatest nation on earth. So what better way to learn to lead people who are functional and healthy in society than learning how to lead people who have been dysfunctional and unhealthy in society? You have to be a reader of people to lead. And you have to trust your instincts. And if you only know the elite people of Potiphar circles and the balls that they go to, you only know that world. But if God transformed you from that world and puts you in the world underneath the palace, where people have no rights, they can't vote, none of that happens, and you serve them faithfully, just like you did in Potiphar's house, you learn a whole other spectrum of humanity, and you're that much more prepared in your wealth of equity in life experience to be ready for the next chapter. My son Luke, when he started last year, he graduated college, he had his degree in political science, he applied for so many jobs that were the right fit for his degree. And, you know, all these job apps now are algorithms, certain words they look for, and they might get you in. It's, so, it's very challenging for this next generation. But he had all that experience as a Starbucks assistant manager. And when he moved to Vero Beach, Florida last year, he worked for much less money doing the same job he did for Starbucks here at South Coast Plaza. And he's there in Vero Beach, and he had a boss that really rode him hard, and he did his job, and he showed up on time, and he did what he always did, like he did it over here at South Coast Plaza. And, but he told me, that is so hard because this is below minimum wage in California. And it, it just, the, I can't even tell you how, how humbling this is. Like, well, Luke, it's, it's all good. You're working hard, doing it for the Lord, your wife and your baby, and it's all good. So eventually he came back here and he got the job with Grand Canyon University, which was like unbelievable that he got that job. And it was a great job. And he did a year's worth of work in three months and they loved him. But then he got the job with Hyundai. And now he's in Colorado. And he's, he's up for like the idea of the year for the entire corporation in America. I've told you for years that Luke is that guy. He's not just ahead of us and look around the corner. He's lapping us. And he finally got the right fit. He's on the seventh floor with a mountain view of the Rocky Mountains. And he's like this young exec driving $60,000 brand new Hyundai cars, whichever one he wants to drive that week. We're like, Luke, you're rolling. The kids are like, Luke, rolling like a, rolling like a roller, you know? Like, and it's, but in a sense, so like what people don't see is how faithful he was when he worked at Starbucks at South Coast Plaza, opening and closing, and how he treated customers and looked out for the corporation. They don't see him when he's on the football team, when he was never the captain and never got accolades for being the spiritual leader and all these things, but he was the captain and he was the spiritual leader. It's not about getting right or getting even or having our rights. It's about the character of blooming and growing and being fruitful and faithful wherever God puts us. And if it's in the prison, praise the Lord. If it's in the palace, praise the Lord. It doesn't change who we are internally, the external. This is who we want to be. 
when we walk out these doors. At 80, in assisted living. At 60, in that fourth quarter, finishing strong. At 40, at halftime. At 30, starting to really find the traction of life. At 20, figuring it out. At 17, watching over dad's flocks. This is who we want to be. There's so much to learn here from the life of Joseph and how he handled. Isn't this a beautiful chapter, by the way? Think how messy the chapter was with Jacob and all the wives. That was really messy. This is such a clean, sweet chapter because one person trusted in the Lord in everything they did, and they were fruitful for the Lord wherever he put them. And that is very inspiring for us. It's, it's about the character of God, whatever people were around, whatever places he puts us, and the purpose he has in each season. So may we apply what we can learn from this chapter to our lives. Faithfully and with humility.